Talking Landscape Photography with Christian Fletcher and Cowan. Welcome to Light Minded. This is part two of our exclusive chat with Dr. Les Walkling. Fletch. Way back when you you went to America, you had a, a an arts Australian Arts Council grant and you went to study in America. How how did you how did that come about? Well that, yeah, this was a long time ago, and I, I, I got a series of grants from the Australian Council for the Arts, uh, which enabled me to travel. I had no money to, to you know, of, of my own, enabled me to travel overseas and, and live overseas for extended periods of time. Um, and I specifically went to um, Arizona, to a little town called Prescott, just below the Grand Canyon, a mile above sea level, to just hang out with a guy called Frederick Summer, who is um, still to this day in my estimation, though Fred's long past, uh, you know, just one of the greatest artists of, of all time, an extraordinary man. And um, uh, from his writings, his philosophy, his photographic prowess, his printmaking, you know, his colour and his skills, just his aesthetic sensibilities, um, uh, just an extraordinary man. Uh, he was 75 years of age when I rocked up on his door and, and said, G'day, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and do you mind if I ask you some questions? And yeah, we, we spent a, a while together. I did a lecture tour with him up the west coast of this. Uh, we spent time at Princeton University together, um, and that's where I met Emmett Gowan and people like Tom Carabossi and, and got in, introduced into that whole world over on the east coast. and. Uh, I was very lucky I was able to sell my work um, prices for photography in those days were extraordinarily high and uh, yeah no it was a wonderful um, uh, a wonderful grounding for me to be able to work so closely with such an extraordinary man and to this day I still quote him uh, furiously and uh, a day wouldn't go by without me uh, thinking of dear Fred and um, and and uh, and Francis, his 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 beautiful wife, and and thanking them for everything that they. Um, I I described it a long time ago. It was as if Fred sort of pulled me apart, all the bits that was me back then, and put them back together in a really eloquent way with super glue. So I've become unbreakable yeah. ever since. No, he he was extraordinary. What what he didn't know about art and philosophy, you know you. You wonder uh, if there was anyone who who would. No, extraordinary man. So yes, and and uh, people like Michael Snelling, extraordinary people on the Australia Council who who supported me and um, yeah gave me opportunities that I beyond my wildest dreams. So I'm internally indebted to uh, to that extraordinary organisation and the support that they give us, um, even at such mm, difficult yeah. times like this. Yeah, no, that was a great. Yeah. Uh, and what what year was that? What, what, uh, oh, this is late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, I yeah, okay. I yeah. came back to Australia. I think it was in eighty three, to to um, to help set up a quite a radical art school, um, and media art, and a media arts program, of course, which I then uh, helped look after for a couple of decades. Yeah, but it was yeah. yeah. Did yep. So did did you? I mean, uh, I think I saw you for the first time. It might have been two thousand nine, two thousand and ten. It was at a PMA in Melbourne. I remember it and well. I, I always, <laughs> yeah, I was always, I always heard about this uh, this Les Walkling guy, you know, Tony, friend of ours, Tony Hewitt, um, said, "Look, um, 
you know, yeah, I did a I did a t- uh, course with Les. It was he said, man, this guy and the the way he talked about you. I said, I've got to see this. And all of a sudden, there was there was Les Walkling doing a thirty minute talk on color management at PMA, and so I went and sat mm-hmm. in. And I just had the biggest smile on my face. You were talking about the driest subject, but geez, it was so exciting and entertaining and and informative. So I had to meet you. I had to come up and 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 ask, you know, if you could come and do something over on the west coast. Yep. So you know, if you can, you say that you know, um, passing on your knowledge is a passion, or is it is it more than that, or what what makes you enjoy the teaching? What's what is it about? Teaching? I remember that smile, Fletch. I can see it like it was yesterday. I <laughs> know oh, you endeared yourself to me. Um, you didn't even have to open your mouth. That that smile said it all. Um, look, I, I to this day, even though I I left university a few years ago, um, still a third of uh, my time, a third of my income is devoted to education. Yeah, it's. I think it's if you can help people and not hinder them if you can help them more than hinder them i think it's you know there's a bit of social good in there um sharing of course is what makes the world go round it's the biology of survival uh, you can't reproduce on your own fletch so um so <laughs> <laughs> i keep saying that to my wife <laughs> <laughs> no but look uh, but but you're 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 a teacher you're a great teacher look at the fun we have when we get together um yeah. you know what it you know what it takes you know what it's like it's just magical for people to have those mm. those moments and as we, as we used to say you know art school is such an extraordinary place even if it just saves you a few years you know leaps frogs you forward a few years uh, it's worth the investment and in like any unregulated industry like the world of art the world of photography you you know you, you can make it up as you go so you can be so responsive you don't need legislative change. You don't need to convince anyone in a standards committee that this is a good idea and get people who normally wouldn't agree to agree. You just click a button and you just do it. And so art schools were just a natural, a natural site for, for such experimentation and for people just to do crazy things just in the hope that they will end up producing something of interest or worth uh, that was the hypothesis anyway. Now, of course, poor Andre's now teaching at RMIT in my old art school and yeah. suffering the the craziness of uh, of our art school's <laughs> deprivations these days. So he's in the firing line now. But no, we, we still spend a third of our time, almost a third of our time, and uh, certainly a third of our income still comes from education. We take it very seriously. Yeah. Talking, yeah. talking of education, we're uh, actually pretty excited to talk to you, Dr. Walkling. Uh, so we actually put a uh, message on our Instagram last night to um, ask our listeners if they had any questions for you. Oh, cool. Um, yep. And uh, incidentally, our um, Instagram is, is like-minded podcast, so just do a search for that. So if you don't mind, we've got one in here, and this is from Natalie A. Uh, so I'm just going to read this verbatim. Does Les have any additional techniques for maximizing image quality throughout the process from capture to print other than the basics such as uh, using a tripod, low ISO, avoiding apertures affected by diffraction, etc.? He's got a, he got about 50 years of uh, ideas to, to add to Well, that. I mean, it, it begs another question, doesn't it? That's perhaps even even more telling. And that is, how do we define quality in a photograph? 
and and mm. and therefore if you don't start from that premise by already by beginning with a discussion with yourself about what you love about the medium then you can just end up running around chasing a tail that's not there to be caught and and you see this in a lot of a lot of people quite new to the medium where the technological prowess is just overwhelming and the gadgetry and the constant change is overwhelming and and they rock up to a, a seminar or a workshop just sort of out of sheer love and passion for this thing we all love and are passionate about the world of photography but of course they're just begging for forgiveness because they're they're lost now so if you're a modernist you know you you, you from the mid 20th century where smooth glossy papers and beautifully sharp lenses and st the stillness of a tripod um, you know d dominates your love of the medium well then you've just got to take care of things that maximize those qualities in the picture otherwise you'll constantly be be letting the, your feelings down but recently I, I, I purchased for my little you know view camera my little uh, Linhoff Techno um, with my digital back on the back of it I recently purchased a very old uh, Fujinon SF lens which is you know these these lenses which emulate that glow of the 1930s the, the golden years of Hollywood that emanation where the you know, where, where you've got an, an applet where the rear lens is, is misfocused and um, and and just when the light's terrible in the garden or in the forest where you you know you pack up and have a nap waiting for the light to improve this thing is just glorious you know every gum leaf is just emanating and you feel like there's a spiritual presence within there and so but i mean to hard a hardcore friend of mine who is a a, a, a commercial photographer that just might be the antithesis of of evil uh, because every rivet in the steel panel needs to be beautifully articulated. So horses for courses. I, I think the question that uh, uh, Natalie's question begs is where, really where you start to answer such things. And then you just privilege, you take the camera off the tripod and start moving it during exposures on purpose if you don't like the democracy of the lens, if you want to take back some of the drawing. So up, you know, pan up the tree to elongate the tree and to reattach um, a different sense of the world to that picture. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think it's no more complicated than, than that. And then just get an encyclopedia and then just flick through to find out whether it's online or on your bookshelf to find out what it is that will help you achieve that look like my beautiful old mint condition fletch uh fujin on yeah. uh 180 yeah. mm sf uh soft focus lens wouldn't, it's a ripper. wouldn't that, wouldn't that be amazing yeah. if that got delivered while we we're actually doing this podcast well the one that's oh, the one i'm oh, waiting one. on is is a rodenstock hr digeron which of course is just you know they, these lenses are just insane and i've <laughs> i've been trying to find this particular 70 mil lens for about two years and um mm. and finally uh, one came up on ebay and i grabbed it i think within seven minutes of it appearing on ebay so mm. at a bargain price mm. and it's in mint condition apparently 
and it's meant to be delivered yeah. today. So excuse me for indulging. Yep. Look, we don't uh, we don't normally talk about um, gear terribly much on the podcast, but I do have another question here, and this is uh, via Instagram, uh, sort of going down this path. This one is from Leo Port, who's a, um, a follow of Ricardo de Cunha. Um, you know Leo, yeah. I think yeah, you know, no Leo very well. He's been, he was. He's yeah. got a, uh, a question. Why? Why is Les the only one from ND Five who uses a Hasselblad? <laughs> Grenade throwing. Oh, uh, I, I've actually written a very, very long essay on this, and um, I won't even attempt to paraphrase that. Um, when I did all of my testing, and this is Jesus, oh my God, two thousand and six was it? When I first moved into medium format digital, I think it was two thousand and six. It was when the H3D came out from Hasselblad, the Mark I. For a start, the lenses, most of their Fujinon lenses are just unbelievable. They're just remarkable lenses in all of the qualities by which you can describe a lens. But it was also just the design philosophy and the, pro the, the priorities that they privileged in the processing of the raw data. It's not simple things like dynamic range. and It was a look, it was a stylization, it was, a, it was an attitude to a task. It was about not releasing something in, in beta. It was un, not releasing something until it was nailed. But most importantly, the thing that tweaked it, the final thing that got me to spend an exorbitant amount of money I didn't have to spend, <laughs> was they had announced, uh, because my whole life I've worked with like an 8 by 10 inch you know, technical camera where the plane of the focus and the plane of the lens can be adjusted to, to change perspective and distortion and planes of focus and so on. And, and I couldn't imagine ever working without that. And Hasselblad announced what we now call the HTS uh, adapter, which then turned most of their lenses into tilt-shift lenses by putting a little bellows, you know, tilt shift front on the end of their camera. And I thought this was sheer genius. Now, of course, it took another 18 or months or more, I can't quite remember, for the product to actually appear. But that was the thing that convinced me. Now, of course, I've long since um, stopped using my Hasselblad camera on a daily basis. I, I still use the digital back, the 400 megapixel multi-shot digital back I, I still use that on a daily basis but for a long time now it's been on a back on a view camera for those this little Linhoff this gorgeous little thing from Linhoff we we, we use the the Hasselblad camera itself uh, if I'm doing you know you know just snapshot sort of portraiture or, or our reaper graphic work yeah you know, where we help um, in the national galleries and whatnot to re reproduce works of art or, or biological collections in museums. We still use that system for that, but everything else, the Hasselblad digital back and the Hasselblad file quality is on the back of a little Linhoff um, uh, technical camera these days with lenses of such extraordinary beauty and eloquence that it's hard to imagine a more beautiful and eloquent lens being invented. You know, things from Schneider and Fuji and... Uh, Fuji and um, Rodenstock and so forth. So yeah, no, I, 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 to me, it was just 
it was there's just no no comparison with all the available technology at that time. They just stood out a mile. Difficult company to work with, but um, but geez, the the files are just to die for. Anyway, I digress. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's on. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, we talk about you know quality and getting you know your, the, the tripod out and doing all those things to make your image perfect. I, I went through that when I bought my Phase One. It was like I've got to just get this detail. Mm. I have to resolve every bit of sand. Mm. I have to see all those every single mm. leaf and my wife said to me one day, she goes, Christian, what happened to you? Back when you were shooting with your, your Fuji panoramic film camera, you, you, you went out and you captured light. Mm. You were capturing an emotion. You know, mm. I looked at those old shots that you took and they were so nice. And now you just, you, you're just showing me this stuff that's sharp mm. and accurate and nicely exposed, but there's no emotion anymore. Mm. So I think that's a really important thing to think about when you're out, going out to take photos. And, and that's definitely something I, I learnt from the ND5 gigs mm. that we did together, like um, with you and Pete and Tony and my brother, mm. uh, as we went along, um, that emotion sort of became more important, and 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 the message, you know, all those stories. I mean, mm. I mean, uh, obviously, we we you remember that trip we did to Karath at that time, <laughs> and we met uh, Bill Fox, yep. you know, and uh, that was a it was a turning point for mm. me, and it was a and a, and I know there was a you know. It was all a very strange time. I, I didn't understand what was going on. You, of course, knew what was going on, and and uh, that that whole um, you were doing all those things that Bill was talking about, and and, mm. and was trying to convince me mm. to to get on board with, and and um, I, I still consider that was uh, for me a, a real. Um, it was a turning point mm. in in how I or what I photograph and what I love mm. to photograph and what it is that turns me on photographically speaking so yeah no it's um yeah no yeah well said fletch really well said i mean that was a thanks to to form you know as an organization Mm. to be able to spend so much time uh, in motel rooms and in the field with a major senior curator like like bill from the reno museum of course of the altered landscape and be curated, have your work co-curated by such a senior, senior figure is a remarkable privilege. And, um, yeah, mm. I, I still remember that as fondly as you do. But, mm. but you know, it's, it's, I mean, you know how much I love my, the 150 millimeter lens on, on that full frame 645 chip. You know, I just, that, yeah. that, that near but far perspective well i've now got four 150 mil lenses fletch just <laughs> like you? it's not greed but just like with my eight by ten in every focal it's need. what's that it's need it's, not yeah, greed. Yeah, nicely said but no just with my eight by ten how in every focal length that i loved and used i would have two or mm. three lenses which drew the world in remarkably different ways. Well, now I, I've, I'm still using the Hasselblad back, of course, but it's on the technical camera where I can put even some of my beautiful old enlarging lenses on the front of that and do even different things again. So for me, yes, it, yes, uh, resolution is, of course, something that is so wonderfully, unbelievably u- unique to the world of photography. Although I remember Andre as a little boy standing in front of grand history paintings in, in 
vastly uh, vast uh, museums and commenting that everything there's infinite depth of field in these history paintings because everything is equally important and you don't you can't afford to leave anything out and um, and and of course you know we've always me with my tilting film lens planes and film planes running that pristine focus across a landscape is which I still do today with with the, with the Linhof is one of the most remarkable mm. remarkable things um, in the history of of the world as far as I'm concerned um, but then uh, to not have the bottom of that valley in as clean a focus you know and and to have those clouds passing by in a less considered way it just complicates what we've got to interact with read and interpret in a picture doesn't it I mean, you, you, mm. you capture everything at an eight thousandth of a second with strobes, freezing everything like a like a like a frozen iceberg, and and that's another look and a feel. But it's it seems to me it's when you juxtapose difference, not similarity, but subtly do so that magical things more easily start to happen within a frame. Yeah, and like I. Mm. I, I that picture you took of me in the Pilbara, you know that. Remember that massive yeah. bloody panel that's oh, yeah, you know, yeah, three. Yeah. That is it yeah. three meters? Is it you know like it just it was bloody. Big, it? it was huge, and just that yeah. emotional sense of oh my god, this place is not just timeless; its space is vast and you know un- unnavigatable. And there's this tiny mm. little dude, you know, with a tiny little <laughs> tripod with tiny little camera in this immensity of what an existential moment and yet that person if you and i've zoomed in because remember i printed that for you at one stage um uh, and i've zoomed right in on that file and i i can see myself in an absolute state of ecstasy you know how you made the the light more beautiful than it was of course you know i mean that's just you but but it was just to your one sensibility i was in seventh heaven i mean though lost Mm. in a in a world that i didn't understand a million miles from home surrounded by a couple of dear friends like yourself thank goodness but what an incredible Mm. picture whereas if i wasn't in Mm. that picture it wouldn't be the same and if it wasn't at that scale it wouldn't be the same if you hadn't done all that with the light and especially the sky and the pre-number it wouldn't be the same but there were all these different things coming together to make pure poetry so yes, thank you, Fletch. Yeah. That's a most memorable moment. Oh, that was my pleasure. Yep. And you know the the best thing about that photo, the little secret that I I probably should tell you, <laughs> uh, I, I I did clone Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Even if that's not true, think... it's a great story, right? It's going into folklore. <laughs> yeah, I reckon it's I'm going to write true. that down. Yeah, no, he was yeah. there. Yeah, I think he was up there with you. I think you two guys got to the top of that hill as quick yeah. as you could. And because uh, we didn't have much time, no. that, that that was a, on a trip out to the Eastern Pilbara, yeah. and the sun was going down. It wasn't wasn't a great sunset, but um, but yeah, we had one little last mm. chance to get that light before it got dark, and we had to keep driving on. Mm. So that was, um, but yeah, I love that shot. Mm. I still, and I actually had a, I did a talk up in Perth um, on Sunday, yeah. and I and that was one of my uh, one of my um, pictures that I showed in yeah. in that, and and of course I quoted you quite a few times and. And people there knew who you were as well, Les, so it's always good to see. There you go. There you go. Tell you what, it's not quite an episode of Light Minded. Unless we take the uh, the mickey out of Sir Peter Reesway, 
Peter, we uh, we do love you. Make sure uh, if you'd like us to give you some feedback on your photography, send us a couple of your shots to lightminded617 at gmail.com. And if you haven't already done it, join our Instagram. It's the latest, coolest thing. All the cool kids at school are doing it. Uh, just do a search for lightminded podcast. And uh, we're not sure what we're going to do next week, but um, we'll see you next Thursday. Bye. <laughs>